I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. This bomb went, went off, a homemade kind of bomb, but they also found several other undetonated bombs. We're looking at the debris right now. Killer 
Norwegian Anders Breivik walking away moments before causing destruction on the 22nd of July. Massive car bomb would rock the centre of Oslo. Eight people dying in the blast. And it didn't end there. Welcome back to our Good Murderer podcast. Series three is upon us, and I'm joined once again by my good pal Ben. It's good to see you. It's been uh, it's been a while. It's been a long old while. Has been a long time. A lot of comments saying, "When are you coming back? What are you doing?" But we're back now, and we're ready to go with twelve episodes of series. A double bounce. A double bounce. That commonly used phrase. How are you doing, producer Dan? I'm very good, thanks. Good to have you boys back. Good to be back back in Boston Sound once again and we're very excited we've got lots of cases planned obviously and we've got some big things to announce yeah well let's start straight away uh, we've got a Facebook now officially yeah officially there's all these fake ones we had to delete but yeah we've got, we've got the official Facebook account up now we've, we'll have new content on there which we're not putting on Instagram as well there'll be some kind of new videos on there so be sure to check that out Lovely. we thought about TikTok we're still not totally sure what, what that means and how it works because yeah. we're, we're getting old we're over the hill yeah and thank you everyone for your patience we know it's been a little while unfortunately few few uh, obstacles got in the way of us coming back sooner but we appreciate your patience um you know i was waiting for the comment oh i could i could murder i could murder a podcast boys because <laughs> they've taken so long or i could murder and i could murder a podcast because it's been so long and i could murder one that you know that, that all they both the, work yeah they both work good that that is, thank so you good. that is actually that's the best think, thing you said <laughs> yeah i don't think you're gonna beat that this series it's downwards from here from here yeah 11 more yeah well Ooh. <laughs> we also hit the milestone of a hundred thousand audio downloads which we're so very grateful for all the mm. support with that and also the, all the support we've had over on patreon Any, anyone supporting us over there thank you very much we've got 14 unseen episodes over there if you do want to have a little look oh they're trying to take our money we're not it's supporting the podcast it's supporting all the costs boston sound isn't cheap is it dan <laughs> not at all so this is actually our second run through this for this intro because uh we had a little bit of a an ep- you had a little bit of an episode earlier. We had technical issues. You had technical issues inside your body. Fucking hell. I'm really struggling breathing right now. It's laughter. Such laughter. Um, mm. Which meant we had to stop for a little while. But we're back. You feeling better? Feel really good. Dan, producer Dan, lovely Boston sound Dan, made me a peppermint tea for the first time in my life. So two, two firsts this morning. <laughs> asthma attack. And, Not uh, asthma attack some sort of body attack yeah and a peppermint tea so chronically unfit and peppermint Mm. tea so enough of all that waffle let's Mm -hmm. get into today's case so for the first episode of season three we have gone with the case of anders bearing breivik yes he was in the running i think for series one and series two but we've kept it until now we thought it was a big case to start season three with Mm. yeah also known as the norway attacks which for me kind of really symbolizes the lack of um crime in norway Yes, you don't immediately, when you think of true crime, you, you kind of immediately jump over to America. Mm-hmm. And then you think, oh, there's a bit happening in England. And, yeah. uh, oh, I heard a few things happen in Russia. But Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, beautiful part of the world. Beautiful people, beautiful country. Um, I want to go there now, after that little bit you said. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll see you later then. 
but no, I think I think what was really kind of eye opening is the fact that this event is referred to as the Norway attacks. You know, we have the London seven seven, Manchester Arena bombings. You know, these terrorist related events. This is just the Norway attacks. I just think there's there's a lot to it.、Uh, you know, as with every case, you know, his formative years are very interesting. But he's one of the few mass shooters that did not end his own life. Spoiler yes, alert. Yes, that is. Or did he? Tune into this now to find out. I think、um, going into it, I had a very even though I hadn't done much research on it prior to this, and I, I thought I had a very clear picture in my head of what I thought he was or the kind of guy he was,、yes. which is odd. And then doing the research, I've got he was very different to how I imagined. Yeah, completely, completely agree. It was the same, same for me. And, and I remember as well as it happened, there was a lot of coverage on what happened on the island, but I don't remember anything really about the bombing. So as we always do, we like to look at the past and the history of the killers. In this case, Anders Breivik.、Um, was there anything in his childhood that set him off to be where he is today? Was he formed or was he born? The age-old question.、Uh, he definitely was born. Hundred percent. I think so. I've、um, got a big feeling. Spoiler alert: He was born. <laughs> Anders Beiring Breivik was born on February thirteenth, nineteen seventy-nine, in Oslo, Norway. His father, Jens David Breivik, was a diplomat for the Norwegian embassy in London. His mother, it's spelt Wench,、yep. but we have learnt that it's Venka. His mother, Venka Beiring, was a nurse who uh, uh, spent the first year of Anders' life、um, bringing up the family in London. However, Jens and Venka would have a very turbulent marriage, which resulted in divorce, and Venka would move the family back to Oslo, Norway. Yes, with Jens remaining in, in London. So Anders' relationship with his mother was very complicated, and it even spanned back before he was even born. She said she actually wanted to have an abortion, but, but、um, she wasn't able to because she reached the three month three month limit. She said when she was getting feeling kicks that he was doing it on purpose to torment her, <laughs>、uh, which is yeah, it, it's like she she was calling him evil before he was even born. Yeah, and that's supposed to be a super happy moment for an expecting mother. All、oh, the baby's kicking, get get over it, get, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, for her to feel that that was an intentional kick from you know an unborn Anders is yeah,、uh, yeah that, that says a lot about her.、Um, Perception and the hatred carried on after he was born.、Um, she stopped breastfeeding him because she said that he was sucking the life out of her.、Um, she said he was a nasty child that wreaked havoc and tormented her. And this is this is a two year old. It, yeah, it, growing up in a household where you know your maternal figure, your mother is、mm. like visibly hates you and like doesn't want to be around you and mistreats you. Yeah, it, it must be a very hard thing to grow up in. Yeah, I actually read I read that she、um, she felt. That he was also really clingy and really trying to kind of cling onto her in any way he could, but also really needy as a child, which again, from her perspective, may have been maybe a mis misjudgment. I don't know. Yeah, he he used to like sleeping in in, in the bed with her、um, at a young age, but I mean, I don't think that's anything too、mm. too crazy to be honest. Is is the psychologists have actually looked into this and they've said that it's a it's a three generation hy- hypothesis, which is. Basically, if, if a parent, if someone's parents had a difficult childhood relationship with their parents, they subsequently failed to develop a healthy relationship with their own children. So,、um, her, his mother, growing up, had a really complicated relationship with her mother, which I will go into now. So, Anders' mother's relationship with with his grandmother、um, was very、um, torrid as well.、Um, she contracted polio virus at the time of his mother's birth, which she went on to really associate with with her. You know, blaming her for it, blaming you know her illness on on her being born. So it's very similar in terms of the kind of hatred when being born. Yeah, I read that.、Nice. I read that she、um, she told him on multiple occasions, even as an infant, kind of two, three, four year old, that she wished he was dead. Yeah, imagine that. 
The grandmother consequently was paralysed from the waist down and came to live in complete isolation. Her father died when she was eight years old, and according to psychological reports, this was the start of her personal nightmare. So with, with her mother wheelchair-bound, it, it was all on her to look after her mother at eight years old. Um, her, her mother would develop paranoia and hallucinations. She'd, say, she'd often say to her, this is your fault. So her mother would hear voices and see things, and she was very isolated from from the outside world. She was just kind of looking after her mother. Yeah. So um, you know, it's kind of a hotbed for kind of mental health would be struggling very yeah. much so there. So that's kind of learned behaviour from how her mum treated her. She's then taken on to treat Anders in almost exactly the same regard. Yeah, in the, maybe minus the hallucinations. Yeah, in the same, she's treating in exactly the same kind of contempt. She links, you know, she didn't want to have this baby who was born. It's, it seems to be, yeah. It's the psychologists believe that is essentially mirroring the kind of relationship she had growing up. Yeah, and obviously it was a really turbulent uh, divorce that she had with Jens, and apparently that then uh, kind of influenced her to harbour a real hatred for males, and uh, and she again would take that out on young Anders, um, frequently being physically aggressive, uh, verbally aggressive, emotionally, mentally aggressive, but also kind of projecting some sexualization onto him as well as a very young boy. So it was a real... A real uh, messy dynamic. So we went, when Anders was attending nursery and um, being looked after by other people, they would see things within him that made them alarm bells ring for them. They mm-hmm. they were very, you know, aware of how the mother was as well with him because she would say things like, I wish he was dead and he was evil to other people, which um, wow. even when hugging him, talking to them, <laughs> saying that he... Yeah. which Timing. <laughs> Not a strong suit. It's, it's very, yeah, they were, there's something not right here. Even the way Anders behaved, he was very kind of isolated. He wouldn't interact with other children very well. Um, he didn't really seem to show much emotion. He, mm. he he never cried, which was a real standout thing for them, um, which made them get bring people in, child psychologists in to actually, you know, see Anders and, and see how he behaved. Yeah. Um, and they came to the conclusion that something should be done and he should be taken out of the mother's care. Yeah, so they raised a care order for him, which uh, the, the specialists that were assessing him and the mental health teams... Um, raise that care order, which in Norway means that the child social services would then have to um, engage in removing him from the mother's care and placing him into foster care. So you have to think, if they followed through with that, how how different could his life have been? Yeah, and that that has been you know blamed quite a lot since the attacks. During that time when they when they wanted to take Anders into care, um, his father tried to get custody, um, yeah. but basically it was turned down because strangely the nursery changed the report and said no, he was a very happy child and very normal child. Which what the authorities then go? Okay, well he seems happy enough. We'll keep him in his mother's care. Though she did take up the um, the option of having a bit of extra support by some foster parents who would take Anders for a while. Though the foster parents would go on to explain to the police that the mum acted in a very inappropriate way uh, when he was when she was handing over Anders to their their care. She she actually asked the foster parents if Anders would be allowed to touch the man's penis because he had no one to compare himself to in terms of appearance. All he ever saw was girl parts. So it's a deeply disturbing. Yeah, I think that kind of added into the this idea that there's a weird sexual um, flow in terms of uh, the relationship there. Yeah, I mean, one thing that really stood out of his childhood, not that that didn't stand out, um, was that they, when they were making these assessments of him, they found that he had a smile that was not connected to his feelings. So to quote one of the child services, they had this to say of, of um, Anders. The family is in dire need of help. Anders should be removed from the family and given a better standard of care. The mother is provoked by him and remains in an ambivalent position which prevents him from developing his, on his own terms. So very much pointing out that 
his mum is hindering his development, making him... Same with, with how her mother was to her. It, it's yeah. massively affected how she grew up and how she saw the world. And they were worried this was going to be the same case for Anders. And that's it. And uh, the first two years or the first four years of a, a child's life are just so important in their development and, the, and what forms them and how, how they, uh, you know, how they would go on to act and the people they would grow up to become. And for him, it's just a place that is, I can't imagine how horrible that must have been. Well, it's the whole thing is like, you're a kid, where's your safe place? It's, it's home. It's with your family. It's, mm-hmm. it's where you want to be. It's kind of where you feel comfortable. But if you're in a situation where the person who, you know, it's, it's your mother, it's, it's your maternal like um, guardian, having someone who literally says, I don't love you. I wish you weren't born. Mm-hmm. I wish you were dead. Yeah. Um, that must be... Incredible. You kicked my womb. Yeah. Suck the life out of me. Now go to your room. So we're going to jump forward a bit here. Here, um, he's he's remained in his mother's care, um, and he grows up and he becomes a little bit of a tearaway. Um, what's your classic thing you do if you're a bit of a tearaway? Graffiti. Yeah, this this surprised me. I did, did not recall this from any of the news stories that that I heard. But he's big on the Norwegian graffiti scene. Yes, um, he apparently was very vigilant in how terms of how he planned it. Because you had to break into places, you need the certain paints. He was very meticulous in terms of getting those things sorted out. And um, yeah, he was fairly well known in the scene. Yeah, so um, I mean, he's he's caught a couple of uh, on a couple of occasions. He's caught by police, um, so they are actively watching him. But he's also very organised, takes it very very seriously, as you said. And um, he does become fairly renowned on the scene. However, he also feels slightly rejected by other fellow graffiti artists and not not accepted by them. Also, one of these times you mentioned when he was caught, um, he was fined, and this was this was the point his father cut off contact with him and hadn't spoken to him since. Which seems, obviously his dad wanted to um, take Anders into his own care um, when the child welfare came in, but wasn't unable to. And it seems a bit a bit of a strange, I mean, that rejection as well must hurt at 16. Yeah. You've been caught graffiti in. That, to me, isn't a big enough thing to be like, I'm not going to talk to my child anymore. But yeah. Brevik also got very much into his weight training and started using anabolic steroids. Yeah, he wanted to be as big as possible to uh, appear stronger and more powerful and more in control of his life at this point. I mean, throughout his school years, he was said to be someone that protected others from bullies. But again, that's just one schoolmate that came forward to say that. Um, Apparently, his graffiti phase would go on a lot longer than most. So yeah, he was very much still in that scene when other people maybe faded away. So I guess even his, his crowd around that point would have moved away from him. But he was always quite an isolated, insular kind of guy. Yeah, and it was actually part of the hip-hop community of West Oslo that uh, kind of took Anders under under their wing. But again, they kind of, once he'd started to interact with them and a bit of his personality would come out um, when he, you know, did feel, you know, safe enough to share that with them, very quickly he became a rejected outcast of an already outcast group of people. So Brevik had criticised his parents for supporting the policies of the Norwegian Labour Party and also his mother for being, in his opinion, a moderate feminist. Yeah, so this is the first signs we see of any kind of political uh, stance taken by Anders. Um, His mother would later remarry a soldier who was part of the Norwegian army, but there's nothing else I can really find that really provoked him to go so anti-left. Yeah, I mean, because Scandinavia was always looked at quite inclusive and it's mm-hmm. quite, you know, it's very welcoming. But he all he's seen so far in his life is rejection, um, you know, from the person who's supporting him the most. Yeah. Maybe someone who believes in you know the Labour Party of it being quite welcoming. Him being shunned from her um, and maybe his graffiti powers leaving him, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Towards the latter end of his teenage years, he falls out with his best friend, who is a big part of the... Uh, 
West Oslo hip hop community, and that kind of puts a tie to uh, him finishing, you know, wrapping up the graffiti scene. So he moves on, and he gets a job in a customer service call center. He did apply to enlist in the Norwegian army shortly before then, but was rejected and deemed not fit for service. Yes, unfit for service he was, but but it, that seemed to be a gripe for him going forward. Yeah, he's put all that effort on getting himself looking big and strong. And Although he didn't get into the army, he did actually purchase a lot of army outfits and wear them around the house. Yeah, yeah, he had a, a whole array of outfits. Yeah, there's lots of pictures, because that's the thing as well, like he kind of, when the case happened, it's all pictures of him and you assumed, okay, well he's got an army background, mm-hmm. which he didn't, he just would wear them around the house. He got very much into playing COD, got very into his yeah. games, World of Warcraft, all those things. He was very, as I said, very isolated, um, but he just casually wearing that kind, kind of get up around the house. Yeah, and uh, outfits will play a part um, as we as we progress in this in this, uh, in this this timeline. At the age of 21, picks up this role in the in the uh, customer service centre. Um, he's said to be extremely good at the role, however, um, is clearly unsettled and unhappy when dealing with customers that are either of an Arab descent or South Asian. So he makes it, his, his tone completely changes when dealing with these customers to the point where he almost puts the phone down on every person that he feels is a minority. So he's lived a fairly uh, solitary life so far. He had a couple of friends on the West Oslo hip-hop scene, the graffiti scene, a couple of friends at school. Family life is not a good place for him, and he's, he's got a few colleagues that think fairly highly of him in the uh, customer service centre. He does meet a young Belarus woman on an online dating site and visits Belarus to meet her. She would also later return and visit him in Oslo. But apart from that, we can't really find any additional information. No, she went on to say that he hated women. So that could well be down to his relationship with his mother as well. So he continues working in the customer service role, um, but whilst doing this, launches his own computer programming company. And by the age of 24, he has actually already made his first million kroner, which is roughly £100,000. He uses this money to rent out a uh, a farmhouse in the countryside, lovely, beautiful uh, Norwegian countryside. And this is where the timeline takes a slightly drastic turn. Yes, Brevik Geofarm was the name. There you go. So now we've looked into Onda's past, we're going to look at a timeline now leading up to the attack. So, 1999. A young Anders Breivik is initially inspired to his actions by the Kosovo War, as well as the 1999 NATO bombing of Yugoslavia, primarily due to Norway's involvement in this. Breivik saw the war as an attack on Serbia's attempt to drive Islam out by deporting the Albanian Muslims back to Albania. So this stage he's 20 years old. So uh, he's just, he seems to be, that's pretty the age you could do get into politics, I guess. Yeah, so. but it, yeah. And he's obviously, I think at the moment, the only thing we can kind of, the only thing we can kind of interpret is that he's harnessed the opposite political view of his mother. Yeah. And he really focused I on think, that. I think that'd be fair to say. 2002, Brevik claims to have taken part in the founding meeting in London of the International Organisation, a resurrection of the medieval Knights Templar. It's actually unclear if this organisation exists uh, or is a figment of Brevik's imagination. 2006, to save money for his eventual attacks, Breivik terminates the lease on his Oslo apartment and moves back in with his mother. In 2009, Breivik establishes the company Geofarms, supposedly to farm vegetables and root crops. Hmm. He doesn't really have the face of a farmer. He looks... He could be Amish. He could be Amish. And I think there were actually... the You know, the farming community also were fairly rejecting of him. Um, in that he was very, very much appearing like a city dweller and a city folk. And you, you call know. that a crop? <laughs> this <laughs> is a crop. <laughs> 2010. 
Breivik visits Prague in an attempt to buy illegal weapons. The attempt is a failure and Breivik decides to obtain weapons through legal channels instead. So on that, Prague for me, I did not know was like a weapons capital or a, a gun. He went there and he, he provided fake documents to imply that he's police. Yes, he, he ordered a fake ID online yeah. and made it into a police badge. Yeah, But Prague is, um, for me, a stag capital. I didn't know that guns were, a, you know, if, if I... Mind you, where would you go if you did want a gun? Well, I, you don't need to know. I think we, should be adver- to we shouldn't be advertising people with... Yeah, I mean, what my point was... Um, go on. ...was more the sense of if you're... If Prague were like, these documents aren't... They're forged, there should be some form of... Arrest. Or something, yeah. It can't just be like, oh, we're not going to... No, this is not real. Yeah. Because he, he must be going through the formal way of doing it because he had to provide documentation. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. It's not he's buying it off someone off the street because they wouldn't be selling it to a policeman. April 2011, Brevik rents a farm in Asta in Interland to perform farming. He tries to buy a significant amount of fertilizer at a store in Oslo but fails to find the correct type. According to the store assistant, he was in the company of a friend when trying to make the purchase. The Norwegian Police Security Service registered Brevik making a purchase of certain chemicals from Poland, but due to the low value of the purchase, no action is taken. May 2011, Brevik buys a large quantity of fertiliser at a local store in Reina. What a load of shit, is what he said when it arrived. Very good. For some people who may not know, the reason you'd buy such things as fertiliser and these chemicals is... In fact, to create a bomb. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some photos of, of the farmhouse he had and, and he, he had taken them himself of prepping the bombs. And it's a significant amount. I mean, it's a huge quantity and uh, no one questioned it because... I think that's, that's one of those things where if someone who lived in or worked on a certain bit of land which wasn't very farmy, you'd be like, okay, this is bizarre. Um, but the fact that he worked on a farm and you know he registered this company as Geo Farm and mm-hmm. he was doing vegetables and you, it, 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 I don't think it would lead you to question it. Obviously no. now looking back, you're like that they should have been, <clears throat> yeah, curious on that. Well, and like buying the guns thing, as I said from Prague, 
if they flag that and they put that, then that's a game of good. Yeah. yeah, they might be. Mm. Breivik's farmer neighbour would describe him as looking like a city dweller who wore expensive shirts and who knew nothing about living in rural ways. What, so we're at 2011? I mean, rural ways. Mm, it could be just a very tight-knit farming community up there, but he would also say that the windows were constantly covered up in the house. So this guy is interesting. Um, the, in, within that farming community, there was also a, a small bar where sometimes Bravit would go in for a drink, but again, keep to himself. Now, the guy that owned this bar used to work as a profiler of passengers' body language at Oslo Airport. And he said that there was nothing unusual about Breivik whatsoever. But I guess if you're in an airport, you're looking at people who are about to commit a crime in the airport, therefore they might be a bit agitated. If someone's going to a bar to order a Budweiser... Oh, he's acting suspicious. Well, I think he wanted a Carlsberg. <laughs> but fair point. I get it. I get it. It was interesting. You bastard. <laughs> you bastard. So now we're at the 22nd of July, 2011, which is the day of the attacks. So through this, we're going to go through the time stamps of the day as well. And this is the part for me when it is broken down. I remember this happening. I remember the news footage, but I really only remember the focus being on what happened on the island. Yeah. I don't remember as much being made of, of what we will now go into. Even compiling the footage for the intro and whatnot, um, the uh, the vastness of the actual, um, what we're going about to go into, um, I didn't realise it, it was as much of an explosion as it was. Yes, yeah. But um, yeah. we're going to get into it. So... 3.13pm, a white Volkswagen craft that is recorded by the surveillance cameras when entering Grubergata, which is the district of the government building complex. The car stops 200 metres from the H-block. The car remains here with the hazard lights on for 1 minute and 54 seconds. 3.15pm, the driver starts driving the last 200 metres to the H-block. And this is uh, what was picked up by the surveillance camera. You can see that, and it's a massive van. Um, it, you can see him pull in, you can see him kind of looking at... Uh, and kind of judging where the best place to leave the van will be. So um, this is all picked up on uh, by the surveillance footage. He parks the uh, the large van outside of the government building. He's sat in there for up to a minute more. I would imagine at this point maybe setting the bomb. The yeah, timer. I think, yeah, yeah. He then leaves the uh, he then leaves the van and starts walking towards Hammersburg Torg, where he had a silver Fiat Doblo parked. And again, you, there's, there's footage of him kind of walking. He looks very skinny, very tall and very skinny. And he's also dressed in full police uniform, including it looks like a kind of PPE face visor. Yeah, I mean, when, when he's driving around in the no entrance part, I mean, someone dressed in that, you immediately... It's like someone in high vis, you immediately assume they've yeah. got a... It's... He looks like one of those guys that are dropping off money at a bank. Yes. That's kind of how I he looks, like the... a security guard. Yeah, which if, you know, you think, okay, well, they're doing this, but they're dressed in the way that kind of mm. indicates that they're allowed to do it is what they kind of take away from that. But yeah, it's when you see it, it's very uh, surreal, especially him walking down the street and leaving it, knowing yeah. what's about to happen. At 3.18pm, witness sees what he first describes as a suspicious-looking man leaving the government quarter in downtown Oslo. Seconds later, he hears the man unlock a car at Hammersburg Torg and sees a glimpse of the driver when he drives the car towards the traffic in the one-way street. He finds the event suspicious and takes note of the car's registration number. Wow. Kudos to that man. Yeah, I've seen someone walking like... Yeah, I mean, I guess it is jarring seeing someone in that outfit. And as you said, he was wearing a kind of head visor. 
mm. which... And I think, if I remember rightly, he's holding something that looks like a gun, but I don't think it is a gun mm. at this point, before he obviously goes on to do what he does. So, yeah, interesting from this guy, interesting um, intuition. Yeah. Not like that guy in the bar. No, not at all. 3.25pm, a bomb placed in the Volkswagen Crafter explodes in Grubergata near the offices of the Norwegian Prime Minister and several other governmental buildings, blowing out the windows of the Prime Minister's offices and damaging the finance and oil ministries. Eight people were killed, rubble and glass littered the streets and smoke from the fires drifted across the city from the devastated area. I mean, the footage of this, and this is what I don't remember seeing in the news when it happened. It is, I mean, it's like kind of ground zero yeah. level footage here. Um, alarms going off, people on the floor, people rushing to help one another. Yeah, there's some handheld footage of a guy who goes in to try and help people out of the buildings. I mean, luckily, this was a, I think it was a public holiday, was it? Yes. So, so a lot of people weren't in the offices at, at this time. They'd already gone home. And so. Ju- July 22nd was also a, a, a Friday. So uh, if this had been any other day of the week, apparently the, the victim count could have been so, so much higher. Yeah, which is... Considering people have said he's very meticulous... That's kind of a bit of an undersight. I mean, mm. or, yeah, if he was trying to get as much, you know... For everything else that he's planned, so to the point, this seems to be maybe a slight lapse. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the explosion, the footage and everything like that and all the handheld footage is absolutely incredible how much damage that did. It's, it's yeah. horrible to look. Witnesses describe the scene as a war zone. Uh, the death toll would have been far higher, as we said, had it not been a Friday afternoon and, and many people in the government uh, building were actually on their summer holidays. The Norwegian prime minister was un, um, unimpacted by this because he was working from home, preparing to give a speech at the Utoya Island the following day. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode... Um this isn't the kind of thing that happens in in Scandinavia. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it's not a thing that happens in a lot of places in the world, but this felt so, uh, Oslo is a very peaceful place. So they were very, very kind of scared that this wasn't just a singular attack. They were thinking this could be, you know, it's a terrorist attack. It could be multiple buildings can be blown up. And a lot of people were on, you know, a high alert immediately. Well, this is, yeah, exactly. This had never happened to their country before. Um, I think nationally it has one of the, at the time, one of the lowest crime rates in Europe. Um, so yeah I mean it's a lot of panic and a lot of people not knowing what's happened what's just happened and what's happening next you could apparently hear the explosion from miles and miles away so obviously with this going on and a lot of people hearing the noise and like obviously words spreading quickly people who weren't with you know their loved ones would ring them and make sure they're okay a lot of people would then go on to call their children who were actually on the Utoa island um, for a labour youth camp um so the initial uh, reports they're viewing this is similar to some many of the attacks they've witnessed in you know america and england and they thought it was from possibly al-qaeda or uh, the taliban um so they are initially wanting to contact their loved ones as soon as possible and a lot of the politicians children were on utoya island so um they're reaching out to them as soon as possible yeah one of the children that were on the island got a call from his parents and his name adrian prakon and he actually said they, they thought this was the safest place to be in Oslo yeah. because it was isolated. It wasn't, you know, it was an island. So it was, a, it was away, away from the explosion. And, you know, I think the parents kind of took a bit of comfort in that thinking. Yeah. Well, they're uh, on an island. Yeah. Safest place in the world for them. Yeah, safest place in Oslo. So 4.30pm, the participants at the summer camp at the Workers' Youth League, a youth movement associated with the Norwegian Labour Party on Utoa, gather in the camp's main house to be informed about the event. 
4.55pm, Anders Brevik, disguised in police uniform, arrives at the ferry landing just south of Utoya Island. He parks up his silver Fiat Doblo and tries to board a ferry. So he, he's, he, so obviously he turns up in the, in the, in the police uniform. Um, he says it's, he's going to Utoya Island, you know, kind of to do look into the bombs, bomb blasts and also to go over there and make sure everyone's okay and if anything, suggest he's going over there to protect them in case anything was to happen. So... Obviously, everyone's under a lot of shock at this moment, and the ferryman, seeing a policeman in their eyes, you know, with the ID, um, they're going to let him on board and, you know, escort escort him over there because that's, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. So 5.18pm, Brevik arrives at Utoa Island. He'd given a fake name to the ferryman, uh, the name Martin Nilsson. He arrives, um, claiming to do research into the connection with the Oslo bomb blasts. He's... he's um, he arrives armed as well, and he is insinuating he's there to make sure that everyone's protected and safe. Yeah, he's also carrying a couple of um, kind of what look like suitcases, as well as he's already got uh, weaponry on display. He's got a rifle and a pistol kind of holstered on his body, but as well as that, he's got some carry cases. Breivik uh, arrives on the island and tries to explain to greeters on the island uh, what he's there to do. And initially, they're very suspicious of him. There were a couple of camp leaders that were dubious about the ID. They did ask to see identification. Breivik would then react by firing the first shot uh, and murdering the two greeters. Breivik then goes on to shoot and kill scores of young people staying on the island camp. Although initial reports said about 10 people had been killed, the figure soared drastically as horrific details emerged. So, so reports from some of the eyewitnesses on the island at this point were they saw groups of people just running across the island and um, screaming. And um, they were this person was in the cafeteria area and they, were, they didn't know what was going on, thought maybe it was some kind of game that was happening. Yeah. Um, they came outside and they were told there's a shooter on the island. They initially didn't know what to think of that because obviously yeah. it's such a... Uh, you know, are they right? They're correct. And then they see the person walking over the hill. They see Brevik come in and then they realise this is this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's an island. Uh, you've only got so many places you can kind of run to. Um, yeah, each option, when you go through the different options the, the, the young people had as well, it just, yeah, until you're in that position, God knows what you would do, but each option is horrible. So you could either hide in the forest, hide in the shore and in the rocks, or you could hide within some of the buildings and risk that try and swim i think it was 600 meters to shore yeah then there's reports of people who did attempt to do that and they were obviously fully clothed and it was too heavy and they even turned back around and there's when he was preparing himself for this he used to play a lot of things like call of duty um think games to kind of plan and you know get try and get in character for the, kind of, this kind of moment and a lot of times when you hear news reports this kind of thing is a crazed gun gunman but he was very calculated mm-hmm. smooth and calm he'd walk around picking off people yeah it, it was random he, he was killing people you know whoever was there essentially it wasn't the yeah. case of he had particular people in sights um he did kill the kind of the, the camp leaders immediately yeah. um so yeah no one felt safe um and everyone had to try and like act straight away of how can i get out of the situation and there were reports as well of obviously him showing mercy to a couple of people he encountered as well now many would play dead so we talked a lot about that kind of when we when we uh when we covered the columbine case yeah. many would play dead and Breivik didn't want to chance that so would fill any laying bodies with you know multiple shots but he did encounter an 11 year old boy whose father was actually one of the very first victims killed on arrival on the island and he was a security guard on the island who Breivik had killed and uh, the boy said um, 
uh, why would you kill me? You've just killed my father. And so Breivik showed him mercy and didn't kill him. There was an, also a slightly older teenage guy that Breivik apparently showed mercy to because he looked Aryan. Yes, that's Adrian Brecon, the guy I mentioned earlier. He, he, yeah, he, he looked at him and thought he looked like someone who was part of his team. Yeah. Um, so he would show him mercy. Um, but yeah, Adrian was one of the kids who would. He thought the only only option here is to swim away. He went into the he went into the lake, started swimming, and he realised his clothes were so heavy. He was tired. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to make it. He thought the only thing he can do is return and try and hide on the island. So he actually turns around. By the time he reaches the island again, Brevik's there with the gun pointing at him and then he shows mercy and says no you're one of the team but ironically it would go on that he would be the last person that Brevik shoots at the end he shot Adrian at the very end um, in the shoulder I believe it to be um, just before yeah, so he, 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 was, he was spared but he still ended up being shot and there are reports as well um, of him um, at multiple occasions because it's not a very big island and when ironically when you look at it from kind of the helicopter view which those those images were absolutely haunting but it's kind of a heart-shaped island and towards the north of the island is where it's very much woodland and apparently those that hadn't seen he was in a police uniform he would coax out saying i'm the police i'm here mm. to help you come out and as soon as they would come out he'd obviously then start spraying bullets at them, which is just absolutely hideous. I mean, there was one particular photo, um, which I believe, again, was one of the news helicopters, and it's Breivik aiming the gun into the water, and as the camera kind of pans out, there's a boy or a girl sat semi-submerged in the water with their hands up. And Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, the news cameras actually thought at first it was just children swimming, um, yeah. and they thought, you know, it, it was seen innocent enough, and then, uh, yeah, it turned out to be the absolute worst situation possible um obviously the children on there who had already spoken to their parents early on and um, they've started you know flooding messages to their parents saying yeah. what's happening and um, telling them they love them and um, calling the police yeah and they were also texting each other as well to alert them of where the shooter was located and i mean this had positive and negative kind of uh repercussions in that they could get away if he was into the forest they would move by the rocks and they would let each other know but there was one instance where I believe a group of them were hiding in one of the cafeteria's walk-in freezers and a text message tone would go off that then alerted Breivik to where people were and he would open up and yeah yeah so so that so the first shot was fired at 5.22pm and at 5.24pm the emergency medical services are informed about the shooting and at, at 5.25 the police in Oslo also were informed about the shooting so they've been informed very quickly very early on obviously they're still probably getting floods of calls from people about the bombing yeah um, which you know is his plan Revik's plan is, is I'll, I'll put a bomb over there that's going to distract a lot of people buy me time to go yeah. over here and do this because it will, you know, we'll go on to say there are some elements of this where he's been highly sophisticated, cunning and well thought out and well planned. But there are other elements where he's been really kind of kind of simple and uh, not the smartest, not the brightest plug. Brightest plug? Bulb. Bulb. Not the brightest <laughs> plug. Not the brightest plug. But I think obviously he's he's done what the, to go back to Columbine again, they were trying to create a distraction by setting a field on fire or setting a bomb off in a field. Yeah didn't really do much to cause a distraction whereas he has got a living breathing distraction that has obviously taken other lives as well and all of the police all of the police are swarming towards oslo when he's gone in the opposite direction to carry out this attack yeah 5 30 p.m delta a police tactical unit situated in oslo is dispatched to yatoya island 
fight for either Delta Team or en route. Meanwhile, the gunman continued his killing spree undisturbed, randomly shooting victims. And according to eyewitness reports, eyewitnesses stated they could constantly smell the gunpowder. So 5.50pm, the police patrol uh, arrive uh, on the uh, kind of ferry port uh, just south of Utoya Island. However, they are having to wait for a suitable uh, boat uh, before they can cross over to Utoya. So they can hear and see the chaos. I mean, it was only kind of a 10, 15 minute uh, boat journey to the island so they can see everything going on, hear the screams, but they are stranded uh, and unable to get to the island immediately, which must have just been yeah, hideous. feeling absolutely helpless of so this, this is quite a, a strange thing. And as you mentioned before at the beginning of the episode, um, this is a, it's a different case because it's a spree killing, which which doesn't end in Brevik taking his own life. Yeah. Um, and at, at 6.01, Brevik calls 112, which is the emergency telephone number. He calls to surrender, but he hangs up and continues to kill people. Apparently he made the call twice. Um, yeah, he makes the call later on as well. But he doesn't say anything. He just hangs up. Yeah, I think the first call he made, he demanded to speak to like the head of a tactical unit or some very superior officer. And they were like, well, who, who are you? No, what's going on? And they didn't really show him the kind of the con- concern that he, he believed he deserved. Mm. So he hung up. Yeah, but, uh, the kind of conflict in reports there. Yeah, yeah. The other one I, the way I read was just literally he rang, rang, and then hung up, and he rang and hung up. Which, if it's if that's goad in them and just kind of take the piss, but yeah, or indecisive. Yep. But that's the thing. I mean, for a spree killer, as you said, we've we've done the Stephen Paddock Vegas shooter. We've we've done the Columbine case. We've, we're now doing Bravik. This is kind of your. I hate to use the word. This is the ideal condition for a spree killer because he's got them on an island. None of them are armed. None of them can overpower him. None of them can fight back. No one can get to him to stop him. 609, the Delta team arrives, are also forced to wait for a boat. The boat that is finally provided is too small for the number of personnel and amount of equipment, and the engine stops during the crossing, almost causing the boat to sink. Local police chief Eric Berger said a police boat intended to transport the armed unit. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Nearly sank. When so many people and equipment were put into it, the boat started to take on water, so the motor stopped. The boat was way too small and way too poor. The team transfers onto a two privately owned console boats. 
lots of local residents are using boats to rescue victims trying to swim away. I remember one of the one of the reports, uh, one of the boatmen uh, on one of the documentaries I watched said he he was going toward the island. He thought what he saw was uh, just someone's jersey floating in the water, and he got close to it, and it was just a body floating. And I think that alerted what was going on. And yeah, it's it's amazing that like local residents, you know, teaming together to yeah to save. And again, the fact that a news helicopter was able to get there to get all these images before a police helicopter or a police boat could even get there. And and as well, I mean, the number of kind of jerseys as you say or clothing but that turn out to be bodies that you can see the numbers are staggering and everywhere as well and he just does not stop yeah 6 25 p.m delta arrives on utoya and goes ashore now as these uh, as this specialist team of police are arriving on the island the young people there still believe that these police are fake and they're to hurt them so they uh, are kind of reluctant to to go forward to to the safety of yeah. the arriving police officers which is just which is totally yeah it's totally understandable though isn't it um, yeah so yeah uh, the police are finally there this is, this is an hour just over an hour after the first shot is fired which as we said the police do get a bit of a pelting about this but there has been a you know an explosion which has never happened before in Oslo a lot of people are called to that, to that scene and then obviously the troubles with the boats and whatnot. It, it's a lot of things just not working in their favour here um, but the police do arrive and um this is the kind of bit where, from you know our previous uh, mass shootings that we said, this is the stage usually where you know that Brevik, you'd imagine Brevik would either try and shoot at the policeman or um, he would he would kill himself. Yeah. Um, but no, Brevik they, uh, at six thirty four p.m. Brevik does not resist arrest, and he is apprehended by the police. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of statements here. But apparently, whilst he was calling one one two and then hanging up and then calling and hanging up, trying to surrender, um, thoughts did go through his head of, of suicide. But he opted to to not go down that route. Apparently, when police did finally apprehend him, um, two things happened. He sought immediate medical attention because he had a four millimeter gash on his finger the result of which was by shooting someone in the head at, sh- at close range and skull fragment cutting his finger. So the arrogance that's, but that's, uh, as well, that's him diagnosing that's what that was. Well, yeah, that's true. Which, yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing is the fact he said he was so dehydrated, I'm going to die, give me water. So did, he's a narcissistic... Yeah, it, 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 he's he's you know I need, he's demanding things at me immediately. Sur- yeah, surrendered. It's absolutely absurd. I mean, he had over an hour unopposed to commit his killing spree on the island, um, and as you said, it, it, it's such a it's a, such a in that sense an ideal situation for what he was after. Mm-hmm. Um, One hundred eighty six minimum shots fired during this time, and the medical team conducting the the autopsies also revealed that f- of those shots fired, he'd used hollow point ammunition which had impacted obviously severely the bodies that the bullets had struck and they'd said that they'd never seen damage done to bodies like this to this level ever before so um of the july 22nd attacks uh, the total victim count was 77 people eight of them by the bombing in oslo and 69 by the shooting on utoya island which is just a staggering number of people all of them well majority of them being young uh, all of them being innocent of course but majority of them being young uh, children in some cases teenagers in most cases yeah the the youth camp was attended by 600 teenagers um, which you know that's so many people there so when this attack took place um, 
Brevik's mother was still, you know, still alive. She's passed away now, but um, she described herself as the saddest mother in the world, who both hated and loved her son. And she had no inkling whatsoever that he was planning the attacks. And she actually was cooking him a dinner of spaghetti that go- had got cold as she was waiting in vain for him to return. She watched the news and the bombings and the shootings, and then when it became clear, obviously she, she was very shocked. She had, she had no inkling whatsoever. I mean, not... Yeah, I guess no one had the inkling that, of, of that kind of thing happening. But um, yeah. th- another interesting thing, um, which, again, I had no idea of this being reported, was when the, the police didn't just arrest Brevik when they got there. Yes. The police also arrested a 17-year-old survivor. The youth was pro- reportedly stripped naked and locked up in a jail cell located only metres away from Brevik. The reasons they said to have arrested him was that his haircut was different to his identifying documents and he was thought to be an accomplice of Brevik. They kept him in custody for 17 hours and his, fa- his family weren't told about this and the family assumed he was dead. He's also, he also, as a child, had witnessed other mass murders in a yeah. separate incident in a, in a Republican Russia. And apparently that was also why when they arrived at, at the island to make the arrests and to rescue the you know remaining survivors, apparently he wasn't as emotional or as upset as the rest of the young people, which is why they decided he's got to be an accomplice. His name was Ansel Dukeev. Yeah, he was completely innocent, and you know the police made a grave error there. So once they uh, once they get Bravik into custody, they take him uh, to be put placed into jail, um, and they have to uh, they have to uh, photograph Bravik uh, for evidence in terms of his own um, wounds. And they ask him to strip so that they can take photos of him. And this is quite strange. He does one of the kind of uh, Greek god poses with the hand on the knee. Well, just, yeah, just like that. Tries to uh, pose like a, a bodybuilder. They just say, no, just a, just a natural one, please. Breivik admitted to the crimes and said that the purpose of the attack was to save Norway and Western Europe, for that matter, from a Muslim takeover, and that the Labour Party had to pay the price for letting down Norway and the Norwegian people. After his arrest, Breivik referred to himself as the greatest monster since Kisling, um, and Kisling was a Norwegian Nazi collaborator during the Second World War, found guilty of terrible terrible things it's that's a wikipedia page you do not want to fall down so an hour and a half before the bombings uh brevik would release a manifesto online which was called 2083 a european declaration of independence and this was at 1500 pages long so uh brevik would later admit in court that it was mostly other people's writings he had copied and pasted from different websites so this is where we say you know in some aspects building up to the attack and carrying out the attacks himself you know, he was quite highly sophisticated. He fought the plan through. But in terms of his actual legacy or this manifesto, it's uh, plagiarism. Yeah, I mean, uh, he also did a really strange thing. Was interviewing himself, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, put himself on a pedestal throughout the whole thing. As if he was a hero and, a, a, you know, a Knights of Templar um, leading, uh, leading man. Yeah. So in this manifesto, he would claim that he was protecting Europe from multiculturalism. Um, as well as stating that political correctness is evil. It's an interesting quote from the director of the film, um, July 22nd, which is an adaptation of... Well, it's, it's essentially a, a recreation, yeah, a recreation it, on of, Netflix. Yeah, of, of, of the actual attack. Um, and he said that it's important that um, whenever there's a fire, it doesn't help just to shut the door. So the fact this manifesto is out there, he thinks it's important that people... Well, people learn from this and that they... If people don't listen to other people's points and they need to, they'd feel the need to act in a, such a drastic way, 
conversations need to happen, discussions need to happen. It's important to have debate. It's important to have um, a society where people are able to discuss and obviously yeah. to learn and grow. And, you know, this kind of thing, if you just shut a door on it and say, oh, no, it festers. It then yeah. turns into something a lot more drastic and horrible, which I think what is, whenever there's a fire, it doesn't help to shut the door. I think it's quite a powerful quote yeah. over all this. Because he came under quite a bit of fire itself, um, ironically. Um when the film was released, Norwegians were very, very unhappy that a film was even being being made by it. I think there was a poll that was carried out uh, the year after the attacks in which it found that uh, 25% of all Norwegians knew someone that was personally impacted by the, uh, by the attacks. I think um, the thing is, it, it, uh, Brevik himself said that this was a three-pronged attack. It was the case of the bombing, it was the case of the shooting on the island, and then it was the trial. Yeah, because the trial that was where he's going. He wanted to get his voice, and I yeah. think p- people not wanting the film to be to exist was a case of that's giving that's still glorifying giving, him. yeah it's glorifying him or giving him a voice and and you know promoting him and giving this, him this mm-hmm. fame as well that he obviously likes. I yeah. mean, even when you know he goes into the courtrooms and he's doing the, the salutes <laughs> and he's doing yeah. all those things, he's just soaking up and you know yeah because as, as well as the manifesto, he posted a twelve-minute video uh, which there are clips of them displaying in court. I mean, it looks like it's been put together by PowerPoint, um, but he posted that twelve-minute uh, kind of slideshow video. Uh, which brought Breivik, uh, the only time he showed any emotion in court, to tears. And he is getting very welled up at uh, his own production. Um, so within this uh, this 12-minute video as well, um, he put an animation depicting Islam as a Trojan horse in Europe. Um, the video, which promotes fighting against Islam, shows Breivik wearing a wetsuit and holding an automatic weapon. And I remember, I think these were the early images that we saw when he was first apprehended. Yeah, there's a lot of images, yeah, um, of him, yeah, as I said before, wearing the kind of um, army uniforms and whatnot, which makes you believe, oh, he's obviously got a pass, but he, yeah, he, he never was uh, never was actually part of the army. So, should we get into the, uh, the trial? Yes. In a pre-trial hearing in February 2012, Breivik read a prepared statement demanding to be released immediately and treated as a national hero for his preemptive attack against traitors accused of planning cultural genocide. He said, They are committing or planning to commit cultural destruction, including deconstruction of the Norwegian ethnic group and deconstruction of Norwegian culture. This is the same as ethnic cleansing. The criminal trial of Breivik began on the 16th of April 2012 in Oslo Courthouse under the jurisdiction of Oslo District Court. Now, some of the footage here, it looks like a gymnasium. That's not me having a pop at uh, the Norwegian uh, uh, judicial system. It's just, uh, it, it, that's how it looks. I like everything else. I like the buildings, I like the houses. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Okay. All right, so the much-studied Norwegian system is built on something called the restorative system. Every victim is given a voice, in this case meaning the court heard 77 autopsies, 77-minute-long biographies for the victims, and 174 court-appointed lawyers for the victims. So, you know, that's great. Obviously, you know, sometimes in this kind of thing, a lot of people's names, and they can be lost within just a statistic. Yeah, so it's very good that they're actually supporting that behind it. So Breivik got sentenced to 21 years, which is the max sentence in Norway for anything less severe than war crimes or genocide. 
which is less than 100 days per murder. However, this can be extended indefinitely. So in terms of some aftermath then, so since August 2011, Breivik has been imprisoned at an SHS section, which is a prison section with particularly high security. Um, His mother visited him five times in prison before her death uh, in 2013, while his father claimed in a TV interview that he wishes his son was dead. Yeah. I mean, there were various diagnoses of Breivik during and after the trial as well, which included that he was criminally insane, a paranoid schizophrenic, psychotic as well was argued and it would eventually uh, the court would rule that he was not psychotic and fit for trial because they tried to the defense tried to push him down the uh, you know criminally uh, not culpable uh, uh, route um he was also diagnosed as having a, a lap of a lack of empathy which i think is, is fairly obvious um homicidal compulsive grandiose delusional narcissistic and antisocial personality disorder and also that he was protect, uh, potentially on the autism spectrum disorder um, in 2012, an independent report finds that the terror attack could have been avoided. The report cites slow reaction times of the police and security forces and understaffing and failure of leadership. Wow. Um, as we said, it obviously took, a, uh, took over an hour for the police to actually arrive on the island after the first initial shot. I think as well, like we said before, a lot of lot was made of the child um, child support services not doing anything early on with you know the, yeah. the immediate kind of alarms with Brevik. Um, it was said... It was later said that, you know, a lot of the people that work within that profession who actually do the analysing were just graduates and very young. And when it when a scary lawyer came in and tried to, you know, say, argue the innocence of, you know, the mother, they kind of backed off and like left them to it. Um, it said, you know, it's been it's been said by psych- psychiatrists now that looking at how he developed and turned into the monster that he did, if he was taken away at a younger age, this could have been avoided. The immediate aftermath, I mean, uh Breivik would admit to having been inspired by uh, Al-Qaeda and, and uh, the Taliban's uh, various uh, terrorist attacks, uh, but also the, the noted similarities between himself and Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber. Um, he actually would go on to inspire, well, uh, uh, Breivik, sorry, would actually go on to inspire other attackers as well, including the Christchurch uh, attack in the 2019, so a fairly recent yeah, one. Yeah, Brenton Tarrant, who actually claimed that he, he had a brief encounter with him, a brief conversation, yeah. but it's been it's been highly uh, criticised that being actually a, a thing uh, with Breivik not actually having any kind of way of communicating with people on the outside which i think is a very good thing yeah um absolutely i mean and, and the initial aftermath as, as well um uh, rescue workers would search the lake surrounding atoya utoya uh, for the, the the several weeks following the attacks to retrieve and rescue uh well to retrieve corpses um, as well as this, a uh, few months after the attack, and there is footage of this as well, they, the police actually escorted Breivik to Utoya Island, where he would spend six hours on a harness on this island, recreating his steps, and there are some photos of him kind of mimicking. Yeah, it's one of those things where he seems not... Obviously, like we said, he he, he didn't think he committed a crime. He thought he was completely in the right. And it's, Thinks he's, he's a hero. Yeah, it's even like... Um, what is his name? Chikatilo. When he's recreating his crimes, yeah. he's very proud of it. Yeah, he's going very around. Showy. He's, yeah, he's like, "This is what I've done." Yeah. He's like, he's he he sees it. You know, all this hard work, all this thought that went into it. Now it's my time to show 
this is why I did it. Also, I did this and retracing the steps. So apparently the police said it was a reward in, in terms of them finding out more information. It was actually invaluable that they did that because yeah. they were criticising initially for, for going going that way. Within a year of uh, being in prison, Breivik finds his voice again and writes a 27-page letter of complaint as well as launches a lawsuit against the Norwegian prison services claiming that uh, he was... Um, being held against security restrictions that he didn't feel were just, but also under poor conditions that he was kept in. And I have made a list of these complaints um, because... Let's get through Let's go through them. Okay, so uh, the, the first complaint was that he was separated from visitors by a glass screen, handcuffed too often, provided a PlayStation 2 and not upgraded to a PlayStation 3, too much isolation... He was provided with a rubber pen that could not be used to self-harm or harm others. He called it an almost indescribable manifestation of sadism. Guards rushing him when he was brushing his teeth by tapping their feet. Yeah, I mean, this all hints that he's so unaware of what's... Yeah. The norm. That, yeah, yeah. And I mean, to be fair, the, the Norwegian prison system, that it's, it's it looks, compared to other... Yeah, prisons I mean, in the world. Yeah, so Brevik spending his sentence in a three-room, one for sleeping, one for studying, and one for exercising yeah. cell with a TV. Can it play, looks like a dorm room. He can play video games, prepare food, and do washing. And he even once built a gingerbread house as part of a prison competition. I mean, it doesn't sound like prison. It's got the absolute gall to complain about his situation where, you know, look at UK prisons. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And as well, someone who's committed such heinous crimes, yeah. thinking that he, sh- he deserves a PS3. Yeah. Well, let me continue. Cold coffee, which I don't mind. Um, Some of his food was cooked in a microwave. Denied moisturiser for his skin. And the guards were conducting too many cell searches and waking him up. Jeez, poor guy. He sounds a bit like a Karen. Um, Yes, yeah. But, yeah, those things, I mean... uh, My mum is as well, I know. That's an expression, Dad. I was joking, mate. (laughs) The other thing as well is what I'd do, if he was complaining to me about having a PS2, I'd give him a PlayStation, the normal one, without a memory card so he couldn't save it. In letters to foreign media outlets he told about his demands to prison authorities, um, he said that a PlayStation 3 to replace the current PlayStation 2 would be justifiable because it offers more suitable games. I wonder if they keep a restriction on the games he can play. I'm sure they must do. Well, other inmates, he said, have adult games, while I only have the right to play less interesting kids' games. One example is Rayman Revolution, a game aimed at three-year-olds. Bravik complained to prison officials. Prison officials. Amazing. I mean, like, as well, apparently he's been he'd been advertising online for a girlfriend whilst he's in jail. I haven't heard of any successes he's had from that, but, I mean, there's odd people in the world. But, yeah, he, he just seems completely unaware narcissistic yeah and it just seems it seems very childlike with his complaints doesn't it It, yeah it's um that's absolutely peculiar well he testified as well that after two years in isolation he has started to love the reality television show paradise hotel which he says is evidence that he has become seriously brain damaged (laughs) that is that is an imd review yeah Uh, as well, uh, in 2017, he's actually legally changed his name to... Yes. <sighs> Fajoltov Hansen? Yeah. Fajoltov Han- F- Hansen. Fajoltov. Fajoltov Hansen. Not... Anders. Another interesting thing on uh, 
TV shows that he loved. Um, and this again kind of highlights the fact that he was all on on about um, you know ethnic cleansing and uh, uh, fighting multiculturalism. Um, his three favorite TV shows were True Blood, The Shield, Dexter, but he only watched them while eating Chinese takeaway, which he absolutely loved. There you go. So essentially, like we said, there's really we can't find a, a clear motive other than his political beliefs, which mm-hmm. we we can't find a reason for what really stirred him to kind of f- f- um, lean that way. Yeah. Um, but he did, one of the things he said, it, it wasn't a case of he hated all Muslims. It, he said like, he's done that expression where he's like, I've got friends who are Muslims. Yeah. As if that's like proof of not being racist and whatnot. But he, he's essentially saying the Muslim faith is fine, but not in Norway. Yeah. But as well, there was, what was it? A hour and a half before he, um, before he, uh, before he, emailed out the manifesto he's claimed to have told family members and friends that he's going to do something that would make his father proud which is an interesting thing to say when he then goes on to conduct the attacks Mm. and obviously he's fighting against politics that his mother believed in and obviously he's venting against her but then they seem to rekindle their relationship after he um after he was arrested because on the final time that she visited him apparently he was allowed to meet her beyond the glass and go Mm. for a final goodbye walk with her because she was uh battling a long-term illness really difficult to find a clear clear motive but i just think this guy's psyche and his upbringing his childhood and his i mean all the way through his teenage teenage years and adolescence it's constant rejection but yeah he was definitely abuse he's definitely kind of lined up to have a very torrid time and then definitely have impacted his mental health and the way he looked out on the world and as i believe you know this could have been avoided which is the horrible thing so that was the case of anders brevik the norway attacks on a slightly lighter note lookalikes who have you got? He had some very striking looks and very yeah. different looks. Double bum chin. Yeah, um, and he basically looked very different from time to time with different, very different haircuts and styles. I thought he, he looks like he could be in his own prog rock band. Yeah. Like all different types of him he could be. Um, he looks like a young Jamie Oliver. Also a young Ian Beale. Little bit like an older brother of Julian Assange. Uh, but my better one is that I feel... He looks like an older Augustus Gloop that didn't fall down the Chocolate River and grew up to commit a terrorist act. Which Augustus Gloop are we talking? Are we talking uh, the original, not the not the Timber? Okay, yeah, that is a better. That is that, a better is, shout. that is quite good actually. Yeah, yeah, the other shout was the shouts were absolutely terrible. Yeah, uh, I mean, once arrested and in court, Bravik shaves his head and grows a beard. I do think there he looks like more of kind of a basement dwelling Triple H. Mm. Not my okay. Gus the Gloop. We'll just keep that one in. And there was also a famous Norwegian criminal in the late 1700s slash early 1800s called Ole Hoyland. The likeness for Breivik, he was a famous Norwegian criminal, big bank robber in the early 1800s. Um, it is chilling how similar they look. So we'll pop the photo up there for you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll stick with those for, for Lucky Likeys. Yes. Well, there you go. That is the case. And that is the Lucky Likeys. And thank you very much for watching and listening to today's episode. We appreciate it as always. Don't forget to follow us on all our socials. If you enjoyed the episode, give it a like and give us a subscribe. And if you wish to support us in any way you can, we've also got a bunch of episodes over on our Patreon page. We much appreciate it. And until next time, like <laughs> we always say. We always say this. We can't stop saying this. Keep doing what you do. do it. Unless it's killing and see you later building
You've been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Additional voiceover by Tom Turner. Additional research by Danielle St. Romain. Produced and mixed by Dan Lambert of Boston Sound. Artwork and animation by Phil Witten. Theme song by Alfie Indra. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search at couldmurderapod. For additional exclusive content, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash couldmurderapod and make sure to tell all of your friends. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Toyota Thon is on, so stop in and get a great deal on a rugged new Tacoma or Tundra, ready to tackle the toughest weather. Find out more at buyatoyota.com. Hurry, Toyota Thon ends January 2nd. Toyota, let's go places. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.